0: what's going on? It's Chris Carino. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast. I have a lot in common with NBA photographer Nat Butler. We obviously are friends and we we get along really well and we can have long conversations. But, you know, as a play-by-play announcer, you have to be ready for what happens on the floor. You have to be prepared for any situation so that you can capture the moment with your words. I'm trying to put a picture in your head. Nat is literally taking that picture, capturing that moment for you. And we all, both of us have to be focused on the play at hand and put ourselves in the best position to capture that moment. His is with a photograph, mine is with words. We know the old statement, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. Nat Butler has been photographing NBA games since 1984. Chances are, if there's a great photograph of an NBA player or a game, it was taken by Nathaniel Butler. Uh, as a companion piece to this, follow him on Instagram and Twitter, at Natley Photo. N-A-T-L-Y photo. And you'll be able to see a lot of the stuff that he puts up there. But again, if you follow the NBA, all the great photographs, it's probably a that Butler. So we'll get into his favorite photographs, the stories behind them the personalities that he has covered over the year, how you become a fly on the wall, how you gain trust, and then technically how you take the photos. Where do you put yourself? Is there a photo that he regrets not being able to get? He'll cover all that, and then we'll do the, uh, the Jim Balvano thing too right at the end about what makes you laugh, cry, think, and, and stay tuned afterwards after the interview. I'll give you a couple, of, uh, a couple of things about what I'm watching, listening to that relate to photographs. All right. That said, on the voice of the Nets, here is the great Nat Butler. All right, Nat Butler, as a jumping off point, could you give me, let's say, your five favorite photographs of all time? That you've taken nba photographs you may have photographs of your children and things like that that are that are dear to you but maybe the NBA dogs. photographs. We can't, for, we can't forget the dogs the dog the British dogs adopted. of course
1: um that is a way of jumping off the cliff that's a tough one
0: <laughs> what <laughs> happens
1: is something is my favorite for a period of time and then uh, i want more i want something else something better something different but without offending anyone or or stuff we'll start uh john stark's dunk has always been a favorite. I grew up a Knicks fan. Um That's him dunking over three Chicago Bulls in a playoff game. Right. Uh yeah. Bill Russell with the rings would be on the list. Actually a, a, another one on that list that is a favorite of mine is the Drazen Petrovic, the old with his
0: hands in the, the air. Off. A lot of the, the younger of viewers
1: are not familiar with that, but that that for a lot of different reasons. And I have two, uh, uh, one off the court favorite, LeBron James in his high school locker room at St. Vincent St. Mary. He's sitting in his in front of his old high school locker on the bench with the MVP trophy prior to going out to receive his first MVP. Was just something that was a crazy you know, moment, a crazy story behind that. So what is that? That's four? Yeah, and give me one more if you got one. Oh, Patrick Ewing, when they Knicks finally made the finals, him jumping up on the table, arms yes. up um, with the iconic garden ceiling in the, in the background. That's today's top
0: five. <laughs> That's the top five. Well, the, the thing is, I could see that there's so much that goes into one photo and there's stories behind every one. And that's why I wanted to just sort of have a jumping off point where we have some reference here, because you just mentioned, you know, LeBron MVP in high school. You said there's a great story behind it. Just amazing to me that you're in that room with him. What was the background behind getting that photograph? Well, typically
1: the guys would get the, you know, the end of the season, like either right before playoffs or early round playoffs. They announced MVP in those days. And typically they would do it pregame. Uh, or the day before have a little press conference, and then like pregame at a Cavs game, you know, at that time it was Commissioner Stern, LeBron James,
0: MVP, you know, in front of the... And he's in high school at this time. No, no, no. Uh, oh. It was
1: his first, it was his first oh, MVP. His first, uh, first MVP. Oh, so that's
0: the, the typical
1: scenario would be uh, Commissioner Stern presenting the trophy pregame uh, at the NBA arena. And LeBron wanted to... Uh, have the presentation at his high school in Akron. There was some pushback, you know, why are we doing this? It's a little more complicated. And the league agreed to do it. And we got there early. And literally, it was just an unbelievable experience with following LeBron around that morning. He goes back into St. Vincent, St. Mary. He's saying hello to the custodians, the teachers. He knew everyone by name. I think he was only, I want to say, four years removed from being a senior in high school. That's crazy. And the kids, what they, it was a surprise to the school kids. They were told they were having an assembly. Remember when we were all in high school, we would have an assembly. (laughs) What's happening? Well, they gathered in the gym and LeBron walked out, you know? And it was the coolest thing because he gave this crazy impassioned speech about, you know, and again, I'm bad with my dates, either four or five years ago. I was sitting right where you were. I'm in high school, didn't know what I was doing. I love basketball, and now I'm MVP of the NBA. Like, it was just a crazy experience. And then we went into the lock, his high school locker room, and he had his signature... On the wall, his his starting five teammate, the locker room hadn't changed, the old high school locker room, and he's sitting on the on the bench with the MVP trophy right next to him, just kind of soaking it all in. That you know, four years ago, five years, this is where this is where I was getting changed to go out on the court and, and play a game. Now I'm MVP uh, of the NBA, and it was just just you know, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of describing the, like the emotional component of how powerful that
0: really was. And you're a fly on the wall. I mean, you're just sort of, you're, you're in the room at the moment. Are you, are you understanding that moment or are you just so busy trying to get the right photo? You know,
1: it's a great question when I'm, I'm a guy that, uh, Gets emotional on uh, on a TV commercial <laughs> that touches and pulls yeah. the core. So while he was giving his speech, actually, uh, I was sort of tearing up a little. I hold the camera up to hide because I have a job to do during that that speech that I said was so powerful. That was my emotion. Then, when we're in the back, you know, talking, he's talking to his business partners. Uh, Maverick Carter and Randy and those were guys that played on his high school team with him they were like remember this happened remember we did and their signatures were up on the wall at that point it's just really like being a fly on the wall and 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 soaking it in and documenting
0: it for historical archive. Is there an approach that you have to get NBA players your your subjects that you're shooting to get them comfortable with you I know I mean you you have a career that spans back to 1984 so you've got a lot of equity built in over the years and I just know personally knowing you you're just the kind of guy that that everybody just likes to see I mean people light up when they see you it's a you have a you have a great rapport with people I would imagine that's part of getting the shot is having people be comfortable with you that they don't even really realize that you're around taking their photos,
1: Right. I do pride myself on being, you know, the fly on the wall. Things are different now with some of the younger players. Everyone is accustomed to people having cameras, phones recording. That yeah. is a different, you know, a totally different uh, world now in that regard. But you know, going back, there's there's a trust factor. And I, I am a fan. I'm still a fan to this day. But if I'm in the training room, you know, with Michael Jordan and he's cool with me being there, then the other 12 guys on the team at the time, yeah. they were cool with it. it just could, if it's cool with him, it's cool with everyone else. Or, you know, the coaches see you around. And I'm not there to, you know, I'm there to document things. I, I try to blend in. I don't – it's never – going to be about me. I use, you know, different settings in the camera technically. So there's not a flash going off or, you know, if a coach is given a pregame speech or something, I just want to, I just want to blend in and, and document it, you know. Um, and I've been very fortunate over the years to a lot of, for a lot of people from, you know, PR staff to coaching staff, Uh, for for people
0: allowing me to have that access. Whose idea was it to put all the rings on Bill Russell's fingers and, and have him put his hands on his chin like that? So many people know that photo, that's your photo. You mentioned it just now. How did that idea come about? That's a great
1: question because there's another crazy story behind that particular photo. We were working on, in 1996, was the 50th anniversary of uh, NBA. We recently had the 75th anniversary. So as part of the, the recognition of the 50th anniversary team, we were doing individual portraits of the 50 players. And that was like a once-in-a-lifetime you know, assignment. And we would have little, you know, meetings. Before Zoom, we would actually talk to people and and say, you know, George Iceman Gervin, we got to recreate that poster. Him sitting on the ice was just so cool. Bill Russell, the fir- it wasn't even that big a discussion. The first thing that comes to mind is the 11 championships. That's Bill Russell, you know. Um, but the crazy backstory of that was Bill Russell didn't get 11 rings. In those days, they didn't get a ring for every championship. And I was like, what? Because now it's like so common that you get a ring. You win a championship, sure. you get a ring, a big golden ring. High school kids get ring. rings now, yeah. 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 Um, so there is a lot of urban myth um, that we're still, believe it or not, 20 years late, we're still trying to find out exactly. Um, But he received a couple of rings. Then they didn't get a ring. He got a watch one year. He got cufflinks one year. (laughs) Um, So what we did for that particular photo to signify the 11 uh, championships is what he borrowed some teammates' rings. There was some front office people that we borrowed the rings. And it was like, okay, great. But then as the photographer technically that posed some challenge because, you know, the, the rings were, we I had the idea of posing them this way, but I didn't want to read Sach Sanders name on the ring, yeah. you know, so I had to do it very uh, technically to show the rings, but have a little bit of soft focus on the detail of the ring while his face and his smile Everyone loved his smile and his laugh while that was tack sharp, you know. Uh, so it, it posed some logistical issues. But we had uh, an NBA guy fly up to Boston. He picked up 11 rings. He came home with 11 rings. We had the rings for five or six hours. He flew back to Boston that night with all the rings to return the rings. There was lot of, There was a lot of behind-the-scenes pressure on that. It was a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity
0: for sure. Did you know when you're taking it that what an iconic photo it's going to be? Did you feel that? that You know what? I didn't, to be honest, because at that
1: point, you're so locked in the moment. Um, You know, people were talking about, well, Mr. Russell could be a little surly. You have to do this, you have to do that. We didn't have much time. It was probably a 10 minute shoot we set up we tested we did other things and then he came walking down the hall laughing with that cackle uh, yeah. that he had he couldn't have been nicer um we told him about the idea the original idea to be quite honest was 10 rings one on each finger and then the 11th in his tooth like smiling with it in yeah so i actually took took that picture but it didn't look good it, it and he didn't like it actually. And, and I didn't like it either, which was great. Uh, so he said, you know what? I don't love slip it on your pinky. So then on, on his last pinky, he slipped on the 11th and a beautiful smile and it has, you know, become an iconic shot. And literally, I mean, 11 championships, 13 years. It's, it's
0: crazy. And he, and he was kind of a, he, he could be kind of a surly character, as you mentioned, but he did always have that smile that lit up a room and that laugh that was just so distinguishable. And I, I'd gotten a chance to interview him, uh, luckily, and it was, it was a, an amazing experience. He, he was as nice as could be. Uh, I would imagine that over the years, he was a guy uh, that, was, that was fun to photograph. You, you've gotten a lot of photographs of Bill Russell over the years.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, I never, I'm not that old. I never saw him play, but would hear the stories from my dad and, you know, meeting him uh, as a basketball fan was a, was a tremendous honor, you know? And then thankfully that all came together. He actually loved the photo. So he had used that photo, you know, on some of his other projects and as, you know, He's not the type of guy to do autograph signings, uh, but he he liked the photo we had it we developed a friendship after that um but then you know going back to like me being a fly on the wall just watching him at bigger events um to see how other players, would react in his presence at the hall of fame every year at nba all-star every to see other nba legends just the way that they uh they interacted with mr russell was was incredible
0: you know it's the old like game respects game kind of thing yeah you've gotten a lot that's what i mean about over the years being able to shoot him not as a player but when he would meet all these you know pictures of him and and the superstars of today or just recently you could you could see you know when you see a picture of kobe Bryant and bill russell like you just you know you can you can feel the admiration and the respect and and these guys that become or become such stars but they become like little kids when they're around their heroes
1: a hundred percent and i think in general the nba unlike a lot of other uh, sports. Some of the older players are so complimentary of the of the current players. It's not like oh, back in my day, Kobe wouldn't have done anything; would shut them down. Like the, yeah. these guys have respect for the current players because they appreciate their greatness, and the current players and younger players have a huge respect and knowledge. Of those that came before them and paved the way for them, you know, and I think that's very unique, and it's a good synergy between past and present
0: players. So, Nat, you're you get like the John Starks photo dunking, iconic, because what's great about it is everybody can remember that moment, you know, and then you see that picture, and it all comes rushing back to you. If you were watching the game live, you remember what what an incredible moment that was in a game. And so you see that photo and it just makes you flash back to that. What's the key to getting a great on court action photo?
1: You know, like it's, it's, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of preparation that goes into things. There's a little bit of luck, you know, there's, you know, the experience factor plays into it, but, you know, as you know, you, when you're doing a live call, like some t- if the referee was six inches over, could have blocked my shot, or you get an extraneous arm or leg in your photo, like we're not posing the guys
0: but you make your own luck, right? I mean, sometimes you have to know, all right, th- I know if I'm here, I won't get blocked. Or I know if I at this angle, the light will be right. Or I, I know I'm going to get the, the garden ceiling in right. here. So yeah, your preparation, you're always that final, that the shot that you get is sort of the end of what has been a long road of preparation and experience, I would imagine.
1: Right. No, that, that, that is, is very true. And you know, like I said, a little bit of, a little bit of luck. And we, you know, the Starks shot was uh, 93. We were shooting on film, obviously, back then. You never know. You think you know. You never know until the films, you know, developed in those days. Um, We're not shooting, you know, we use what's called strobes in the ceiling that gives it a better quality, a different look. So, I get one shot, a newspaper guy sitting next to me, you know, gets 10 or 12, now 15 frames a second, like on a motor drive. Like we're just shooting, I'm just shooting one shot every five or six seconds, you know. So it's, it becomes a mental thing as well. You're following the ball, waiting for that exact moment. Um, and I I like that challenge, you know. Uh, and I still, I'm very fortunate, I, I still in, enjoy that so much.
0: When you're sitting courtside, are you watching these sequences through your lens? I mean, I would imagine you have to be watching it through your lens to click it at the right time. But like you can't be saying, I have the camera down around your chest and all of a sudden bring it up really quick, right? I mean, you've got to be watching it through your lens.
1: No. no, the whole time I'm very, very much dialed in, focused. Uh, literally, figuratively uh, looking through the lens, just waiting for that moment because inevitably w- you put the camera down um, and that's the shot you don't get. Uh, and it's painful for me, but I do have one of those moments as well. And it's important yeah. to remember that. Um, well, wait,
0: what would that be? Can well, you share that with us? Yeah, of
1: course. One of the greatest basketball moments of all time Um the Olympics in Sydney, when Vince jumped over Frederick Weiss. Um, my shot would not have been good because it happened at the other end of the court. So I'm defending myself a little bit, but at the Olympics we're shooting four or five games a day. And I put one, if if you look at the replay, I've looked at the replay hundreds of times Uh, it happened in transition, there was a steal. I want to say KG stole the ball or something. So we use one camera when the ball's at one end of the court. When they come toward you, you pick up and use a different camera. So I was between cameras. KG stole the ball um, and passed it to Vince down the other end of the court. uh, And he had to jump over Frederick Weiss was one of the craziest shots of all time in basketball, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I was at the wrong side of the court. You can't help that.
0: Um, but I did not. Uh, I did not get that shot. And you're you're just like a play-by-play guy. We could have a million good calls and we'll remember the one that we screwed up, that I gave the wrong description or I got tongue-tied or my voice cracked or something like that.
1: No, but I, I, I can. Re- we can relate, right? Because that, that yeah. also what, what drives you. Yes, I had shooting five games a day. Whatever, no, no excuse. You know, yeah. Uh, I'm terrible with names. I don't know how you guys are so quick <laughs> with with your names. I would be like that old, that old funny. Um, What's his Johnny uh, most. Johnny most number five passes the, the number eleven. The guy, guy with
0: the mustache. That's <laughs> how I would be
1: that's how I would be my my announcing career would last about thirty seconds.
0: <laughs> well, and the other thing about it is too is 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 being uh focused on doing your job. And sometimes you 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 get a sense of the moment at the time, but you can't enjoy it like somebody's just watching because you have to be focused on getting the right shot. I mean, I I even go back to when I started. I used to do sports phone. Remember sports phone? It's like nine seven six one three one oh, three, and you I called it up yeah, many times. That, yeah, that's how you had to get your scores back then. And I started there. I was I used to do that when I was like right out of college. And I remember the remember the Joe Carter home run to win the World Series for the Toronto uh, Blue Jays right. that time, right? right? And I used to have to do the recording every ten minutes, and you'd be in a, with a bank of TVs, and guys are keeping update the scores and. And I remember like, you know, being a sports fan, people were like, wow, it's great. You get to just go in and watch all these games and everything. And I said, yeah, but every 10 minutes I have to keep updating the scores and going in and doing a recording. And I'm waiting on the Joe Carter at bat because I've got to do another recording and But I'm waiting and I'm waiting because I want to make sure I get this. And I go, ah, I got to do it. I got to go in. I, and I'm in the booth recording and I missed the home run. Right. And I have to come back out. And then I find out everybody's going crazy what happened. And now I got to go back and do it anyway. So, yeah, but you, you miss stuff because you sometimes, you know, like you said, you're looking through a lens. It's hard for you to get a sense of, you know, probably when you go back and look at the highlight on TV, you now get a sense of the crowd and the teammates. But you're, you're, you're honed in on that one, you know, two guys. Right. No, and literally, I'm um, I'm not
1: putting the camera down. There's a timeout. I'll look at, you know, the the time, the clock, the score, uh, some team, like it could be a tie game, just like you guys. I need to know if there's a timeout, if there's a tie score and they, the team has no timeouts, they're going to inbound and run it up court. Yeah. I, I need to know that. You know, yep. so that is where the the mental component comes comes in uh, to, to things like time, place, score is hugely important to to all of us.
0: You're you're in the line of fire a lot being on the court, on the baseline. Uh, I saw the other night, I, I forget who it was in the, in the Nets game. You were there baseline and I saw a player almost ram into you. Is there Do you have like a do you have like a. Uh, do you have like a, a, a a second sense of, like, as you're looking through your camera and these bodies are all around you, do you have a sense of maneuvering out of the way and knowing when there's a guy coming toward you? You do develop
1: a little bit of uh, of instinct that way. Typically, maybe
0: I should say a sixth sense. I said second sense. It may like a sixth, sense. sixth yeah. sense,
1: like a quarterback feels someone coming from the weak side or something. Because typically, it's very
0: similar. Very similar. That's a great analogy to a quarterback in the pocket, where you've got to stay focused down the field and maneuver out of the way at times.
1: No, because I want to. Typically, we're following the ball. Sometimes things happen, you know, off ball, but typically following the ball, but you sort of feel something or sense something coming and, you know, never want to, you know, we're like the, uh, the referees, perhaps you never want to be the story. I don't want someone tripping over me. I don't want to, I don't (laughs) want to be injured. I don't want to injure someone else. Uh, we just want to blend in and, and do our,
0: do our job. How did it all start for you, Nat? How, How did you, uh, come to first pick up a camera
1: um you know what it's a it's a great question um I was always in always interested in sports I played sports uh had was interested in photography um I would take from
0: where where were you how did how did you become interested in photography you
1: know what I grew up um I grew up in Montauk my dad was a fisherman um and I, I bought a camera and would take take some pictures while we were out fishing the sunrise, you know, the sunset <laughs> and some long days uh, out there. And just things that I was attracted to like that. So you
0: saw the, you saw the beauty in that stuff and you wanted to capture yeah. it.
1: And then like everyone else, like, you know, depending on how, how old the audience is, uh, Sports Illustrated would literally run to the mailbox every Thursday. Um and look at the photos, uh, read the articles. They had a tremendous uh, staff of writers as well. Ripping out pictures, had posters up in my room, you know. Um, and I I went to St. John's. I'm not a Fordham guy. Uh, went, Sorry, I won't hold went, you to, again. went to St. John's. Was not obviously good enough to play on the on the basketball team but was always hanging around the gym and started taking pictures of the, St. John's in those days. It was crazy. Chris Mullen, Walter Berry, Mark Jackson, like crazy teams. So started taking pictures, became friends with them, working for the school newspaper. Similar if you're working for a college radio station, you know, on, on your end and, you know, things kind of took off from them. I was fortunate enough to work as an apprentice at sports illustrated um for some of their legendary photographers and you pick up a little from this guy, a little from this guy, uh on the tech. How did you part. get how did you connect with Sports Illustrated? You know what? Um at the time, St. John's was like number one and number two in the country, St. John's Georgetown, Chris Mullen, Patrick sure, yeah. Ewing. So I would be shooting the games at at Madison Square Garden, those crazy Big East matchups. And Sports Illustrated would be covering the games as well. Um, so, got to know some of their photographers and stuff, and offered up my, you know, assistance and helping, you know, schlepping cases and gear and cameras around. And it just sort of, um, it sort of evolved uh, from that to working while I was still in school, nights, weekends uh, for Sports Illustrated as an assistant
0: apprentice. Was there a mentor in your career there, a guy that you met, a photographer that, that helped you out? There were so many. At the time, Manny Milan
1: was a big basketball shooter. Um, we covered so many basketball games together. He also did boxing. We covered all the Mike Tyson fights. We mm-hmm. followed Mike Tyson around from when he was 13 years old, uh, then worked with other people. Walter Yost is the, you know, the famous a uh, photographer that had had done the Michael Jordan book, and he has so many iconic uh, photos from over the years. Neil Leifer, like literally go right down the list. And it was like the heyday of, you know, those SI legendary photographers. And I it, it was like immeasurable how much I learned from them.
0: Do you have something in your head? I mean, I I know I learned my craft from Marty Glickman in college, and I always have his mantra, you know, consider the listener. Is there something that you have from one of those guys starting out, you know, uh, something that is always in the back of your mind that's kind of shaped your career as a photographer?
1: Yes. Um, And it has to do more like with some of the feature stuff, Uh, Not the games per se, the games sort of uh, take care of themselves with what happens. Like, again, we're not posing them, but when we're um, when we're posing them like in a hotel room, what kind of set do I use? What kind of lighting do I use to make it um, to make it? interesting, you know, and it would be like, oh, what would Walter do? What would Annie Leibovitz do in this moment? And just sort of do something on the creative aspect of that.
0: What's the, the, you know, getting that, we talked about getting sort of comfortable with people and, and how people are comfortable with you it, were, were there ever guys that were it was it was difficult, it was a challenge to break through, to finally get them to trust you, to get a good shot that maybe was always sort of your, your you know, the, the, your white whale, so to speak?
1: You know what? Um, yes. And I was younger at the time. Larry Bird, he was all basketball, didn't like getting his photo taken. And by the way, I was very, I was younger at the time. He he, you knew he was sensitive to th- those things. Like he just didn't li- just didn't like it, you know. And I respected that. I was a huge fan, but there were you know there were moments that I that I you know. How, here, here's a perfect example. Like you know, how we now do these walk in shots that have become. You know, the arrivals, the fashion, what are they wearing, the sneakers, whatever, are such a huge deal of what we do now, you know. Um, 25, 30, well, more than that, 30 years, um, Larry Bird walking into Boston Garden, there was the old timers will remember the old Boston Garden. It was a wood ramp walking up the back. And we would always be there early because we're setting up cameras, lights, whatever. And Larry Bird walked in with Converse sneakers over his shoulder, a basketball under his arm, walking into the arena. And I didn't take the picture. I was fumbling and bumbling. And then I knew he wouldn't like it. And I'm like, do I do it? Do I don't? And I didn't. And now I wish I had the picture. But whatever, I didn't want to piss him off either you know yeah uh so things like you know he he was a tough one but then at the end of his career like you know he i think there was like mutual respect whatever he had his last season he asked for a couple of of pictures and it's amazing these got the memory of do you have this picture do you have this moment this and i was fortunate enough to get uh, a, a great photo of the last time him stepping on the the court in Boston Garden. Oh, wow. They lost on the road, but he was injured, his back. It sort of had a feeling it could have been his last time. And uh, those old Celtic warm-ups, they had the the name that was like, uh, it wasn't uh, sewn on the back, but him yeah. his bird warm-up jacket stepping on the court for the last time. is sort of just, I'm a fan. You know, I love that picture is the last time he stepped on
0: uh, on the parquet of Boston Garden. Do you get a lot of guys will say to you, hey, hey, Net, did you get that picture of me doing this? Can I get one like this? Do you get a lot of that from players?
1: You know what? More so now because it's more in the moment, but it is because I have been doing it for so long. It is cool. Like if we were to do a feature at someone's house and you walk into their house and they have like pictures of mine hanging in their house or something is sort of cool. Or now some of the, some of the younger guys are like, well, who's that? And then, you know, they say, Oh, that's Nat. He's the guy that took this picture. And they're like, Oh, wow. You know that. So that's kind of cool for me.
0: You brought up Larry Bird in the old Boston garden. I know there's a, you have another iconic photograph of, um, that first finals with Magic and the hook shot over, I think it was like Parish, McHale, and Bird all in the photo. Such a great photo. And Magic was such a photogenic guy. And we know what that Magic-Bird rivalry kind of did for the league. Right. Um, did that kind of do the same maybe for your, your career as well?
1: Uh, sort of. Um, like, I was just along for the ride at that point. Yeah. Like, Magic Lakers, I mean, uh, Celtic Lakers, oh, it's another year. Sacred Lake, Lakers, Celtics, fine. Like, we thought that was going to happen every year, you know. Oh, um, but it really, it at that point, that 87 was game four. Magic, again, you talk about right place, right time. I was on a the, typically the opposite side of the court that I normally uh, would prefer to be, but I was the junior guy at that. Point, no pun intended. He came across the lane, hook shot, hit the shot, kept running right off the court, Uh, and the and the you know Lakers came into to Boston Garden and, and and stole Game Four like that, and then like. You go on, on a, you know, in those days, the parades and you're on the float, uh, <laughs> sitting on the float with Pat Riley in L.A. Like, hey, this is this job could be pretty fun, you know, <laughs> um, and it just sort of uh, has, has taken off from there.
0: So you say there's a preferred side of the court. You mean in terms of which basket or on either side of the basket? A little of
1: both, but again, you're not, um, and that's like a, we don't have photography analytics, but. Um, it's coming. You know, it, Yeah, it's coming. Um, there's, I like to be on the, the side of the basket where you have good access to shoot both benches. The coach comes over, they talk to someone. Most of the players are right-handed. They finish with their strong hand. Uh, it's funny, I'm shooting a lot of Knicks games uh, as I typically do, the Knicks have three left-handed players uh in the starting lineup this year with uh Brunson, Randall, and R j. and they do things differently. You know what I mean? so yeah. it, it it's a whole different mental uh component. You shoot a a little earlier on a drive because otherwise you get the hand in front of the face like that kind of stuff. so there' there's just different uh different things that way.
0: And do you want to be on, so like if you're, you're, you're there to, let's say, you're in you're a net game at Barkley Center, do you want the Nets offense to be in front of you? Do you switch ends at both sides or do you, do you shoot, do you stay on the same end the whole game?
1: Typically now I stay on, on one side, we shoot some of the visiting team and we set up what we call like remote cameras at the other end to cover yeah. things and Barclays lends itself to some great positions like up in the ceiling, you have a camera for a certain angle and it just creatively um, I play with the lighting there a little bit with our, with our um, lighting where, where sometimes I like when the background goes really dark Uh, And they have a black uniform or the visiting team comes in in a red uniform and it just pops a little bit. Um, So those are those are things because I'm there, you know, pretty much every game uh, that I can I I do uh, am
0: afforded opportunity to to try some different things. I can't even imagine how much your your job has changed over the years from going from film. I mean, back when you started, right, you would. You would take all these shots. You had to be cognizant of how much film you were using. You had to change the film, right? And then, and then you might have to go back and develop the pictures to see what you got. Now everything is instantaneous. Self, you could work cameras remotely. I, I mean, in a way, it's it's amazing how much your job has changed.
1: No, a hundred percent, and um, that has sort of kept me fresh with things. Like you know, people love that that camera that we put up. Um, behind the basket. It's behind on the backboard and you get like some eye contact when guys come in with the rim. It's a great uh, angle. Well, back in the film days, I would have 24 shots for the entire game. Wow. Scotty Pippen coming in on a crazy dunk. Do I take the shot or do I wait for MJ to perhaps do it like literally <laughs> in real a millisecond, this is what this is what you're thinking. Patrick Ewing does a little baby hook over Rick Smith's. I'm taking that picture, you know. But those are the that's the thought process you have to have had, you know, for taking the the picture. Then uh now things are digital, obviously, and they you know people are familiar with, you know, oh, let's go to the replay center in Secaucus. Well. All of my cameras are wired. We go to the arena crazy early. They're all wired. I hit the button and the images go to Secaucus. We have an editing group in Secaucus that works nights. They have the image in two seconds.
0: Um, And then if it's a great one, it's just up on Instagram and it could be a million views before you even saw it. No, well,
1: that's typically that's what happens. Like I'm dialed in, I'm, I'm doing the game. And then, you know, I literally, I turn my phone off during the games. Uh, I'm driving home, you know, two hours after the game, my phone's blowing up with this picture, that picture. I don't even, you know, I don't even, haven't seen the picture yet. Um, that kind of, that kind of, but that's, that's sort of cool. Like back in the day, it was very prestigious. You get a cover uh, of Sports Illustrated. I think they had a subscription basis of 3 million people. You know, now NBA, Instagram has 60 million that see it instantaneously. Brooklyn Nets, 4 million people that they have access to the photo literally seconds after you hit the button. It's a different, it's a different world.
0: How many cameras do you have going like a typical game at Barclays Center? How many cameras do you have set up?
1: You know, where I sit, I have two cameras where I sit with different You're on the baseline on the baseline, yeah. and then typically have four or five cameras down at the other end with different angles, rigged
0: on top of the backboard,
1: correct. up in this up in the ceiling, like straight down. There's a cool angle that we do now um, that uh, Andy Bernstein and I came up with. It's kind of like, You'll notice in the basket stanchion, there's a little, they call it the mouse hole. There's a little hole cut in the rubber that we stick a camera in to get like up underneath. Again, something different.
0: Um, And are you clicking though? Is there, I mean, is it on your phone? Like how do you, how do you click a photo on those cameras? Those
1: cameras uh, are pre-focused on different spots. So I'm looking through my, my camera. I'm shooting, and then if a player were to turn instead of me getting a picture of his back, I will click a different button to then if they're turning and facing
0: one of those other cameras. Oh, wow. So all those other cameras work off a button on the phone, on on the, on the camera that you always hold in your hand. Correct. And that's something that
1: I've just developed over the years with some different people working with, you know, technology and things that... Like I said, it it's uh, it keeps me uh it keeps me going, like better mousetrap kind of mentality, you know?
0: Sure. However, you gotta get the shot, right? I mean you, yeah. you use the latest technology. Exactly. Do you ever do you ever kind of walk around the arena? Do you say, All right, you know what, this game here, it's a random Tuesday night. I'm gonna just go sit and section six and just look around and take photos or get you know interesting that, um, angles?
1: I do it all the time, not actually where I would personally sit, because again, statistically, where I sit, you're going to get the the best shots. Sure. But I do that all the time for, for these remote camera positions, for sure. And different arenas lend themselves to different things if you put a, a camera... You know, you can't block someone's view, or you don't want a fan messing with it, or something. But if it's above a, a vom somewhere that has a little bit of a different angle, uh, we do some things. You know, I, I was just looking through some older stuff, and there was a cool picture um, straight down over the team huddle, and it was Coach Pop with the, you know, with the with the the board. And then it was Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, all around him, and you see the the top of their names, you know, coming straight down from the yeah. top. And it's it's preparation, obviously, but a little bit of a little bit of luck never hurts
0: either. Sure, like I said, luck meets preparation, right? Exactly. Where, um, it's fascinating. We could talk for hours. I don't want to keep you for hours, but um, when you're not in an NBA game are you walking around town taking photos? Is it, is it a hobby as well as a job? I mean, is it just something that is just your nature to be out and wanting to capture photographs?
1: It is to a certain extent. Sometimes like I'm sure, I'm sure even for you, like you have to turn the switch off um, because it is for me personally, it's very consuming. Like when I'm at a game, like oftentimes I have to apologize to people. Please don't. I'm not being rude, but I, I, I'm i not chit-chatting. You know, like if you're going over your pregame notes, people want, hey, Chris, nice to meet you. I'm a I big know. fan. Like, it, it's all wonderful, but you have, like, it's my personality. Like, it, for those, you know, hours that I'm there, it it does, you know, consume me driving into the game. I'm thinking who the players are, what who the opponent is. Like, it's all part of the process, you know? So I do turn the switch off uh, sometimes with in terms of the photography, like we joked about it earlier, taking pictures of the dogs or something is fun. I use totally different cameras, something different. I use my phone a lot. The phone takes good pictures, you know, Uh, that that kind of thing, you know.
0: Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Like you go to a wedding or something, people are like, looking at you, you know, don't you have your camera? Don't you take pictures? Right.
1: No, it, it (laughs) does. It does happen. Um, and I enjoy, uh, I enjoy doing like the behind the scenes type stuff at, at weddings. I always have like, I do, uh, or a friend's birthday or something. You bring a little camera, but just to, to get more of the, the candid moments and stuff in it, it's fun.
0: What's the favorite camera you've ever had?
1: You know what? It has evolved over time um, with different, you know, technology. Uh, I started with like an old Leica that the Life magazine photographers would use. Mm -hmm. Um, Hasselblad uh, during the, the film heyday was awesome. I like... Literally, it just feels good in your hands the way it's mm. built, constructed, the engineering of it. It's, it's a, the camera itself is a piece of art, you know. Yeah. Um, and now, now I'm, I'm shooting with Canon, um, uh, gear with digital and that, you know, there's different models and versions and, and things of that always evolving.
0: Everybody is a photographer now with their phones and having a place to put it on Instagram, things like that, social media. So if somebody's, if somebody's taking a trip or they're doing something, should they invest in a camera, expensive camera? Maybe, or, or is the phone good enough that you get really good photos? You know, it depends on what you're looking for. But
1: I even have found myself, when I have a camera... I use the phone sometimes in those instances. It's more about the moment, and I am sensitive. I don't want to schlep a bag full of six different lenses. You want something, you know, light, and you take a picture of the camera. Um, uh, I haven't been on vacation in a while. I have to be honest. That's a different story. But if you're on vacation, I want to, like – I would enjoy the sunset and not worry about taking a picture of it by a postcard or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's just me. But the, the, a lot of the older people are like, ah, the phones, the phone, the phone, it's a good tool. It's a camera. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful camera and it produces uh, great things. I get pictures of my nieces and nephews texted to me on the, on the phone. I love it. You know, it's, it's where we are and, and the quality, um, the quality is remarkable on, on the phones. So I would embrace
0: it. And it goes back to, I think our, the, the moral of the conversation is, you know, it's a, it's about capturing the moment, right? You know, yes, you want it to be technically sound and everything, but it's about being, I would imagine most of your job is like being in the right place and knowing when to click the button. Yeah, ab- you know? absolutely. So when people are out there with their their iPhone or whatever, <laughs> I know one I, I know one like photography term. I'll go a uh, uh, rule of thirds, right? You want to kind of get it in the the subject, not necessarily straight in the middle, but you want to kind of get it into right. a third of the camera. What, what's right. the key to taking that good that good IG shot for somebody, whether or not they're shooting their dinner or a sunset or or dogs? Yeah, it's a
1: it's a great question, and I think there's per, the the that's the old school of of thirds when you have the time and ability to uh to compose that. You know, we're not shooting action with the iPhone or or whatever, um, but it is it is fun, and the like the quality and the settings and this and that on on the phone is is remarkable and. Mm-hmm you know, playing with the dogs or kids or, you know, people Instagramming their photo of their dinner, like the quality is
0: pretty damn good. But do you want the, you want the subject to be off center, more toward the bottom? Does it matter? That's a personal preference.
1: I I like, um, there, there, it is an option even on the phones, uh, for those of you with your phones out there, you, if it's in a portrait mode, uh, it, it makes the background fall off a little bit uh, in terms of focus. So the subject pops a little. Um, and, you know, we do that with the cameras all the time, technically change the settings. Uh, there's some artificial intelligence involved in the on the phones that can do it automatically most times, but something like that is a stylistic. There's no right or wrong, you know. Um, yeah. But it does it does pop a little, and you'll notice even on the TV broadcast, like they have the cameras now. Uh, watching the World Series. The guy hits a homer. He's running around third. Like the cameraman is actually running with him. And we call it like a shallow depth of field where the guy's rounding third and he's sharp and in focus, but there's immediate fall off. The crowd is just a big blur Um, and it, it, it catches your eye and it's a, it's a cool, uh, it's a cool visual in my opinion.
0: Nat Butler. So I like to end these things. I've taken so much of your time. Um, I like to end these things. Talk about. Remember the uh, Jim Valvano, never give up speech at the ESPYs, 100%. right? 100%. Um, he said, everybody, to have a full day, you should do three things every day. You should laugh, cry, and think. Uh, so, Nat Butler, NBA, esteemed photographer. Um, what makes you laugh?
1: You know what? Uh, I would like to think that I have a good sense of humor. Um and I, I typically uh, after a late night at a game, I'll have coffee and scroll through the phone like so many of us now. Um, and there are some good uh, t- Twitter accounts, some Instagram account that make you that make you laugh, make you smile. I don't, I, I don't. To be honest, I don't do a lot of the sports stuff to just get a breather. And there's like a thoughts of a dog account that makes me smile. There's a great account <laughs> now. Uh, it's sports, but art or something like that. Um, and great follow makes
0: you smile, makes you laugh, makes you think. All right. What, what about funny uh, players in the NBA? you have anybody that stands out that used to make you laugh?
1: You know what? Um, I was always a big Shaq fan for obvious okay reasons um you know he just a good he mess around with you of course like there were times during a game where he would even reach over and pick up my camera and he's trying to shoot a picture in the <laughs> middle like that kind of thing um but um you know sometimes i think during during the games is, uh, is obviously more of uh the serious moment
0: earlier in the episode you mentioned that you'll 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 cry at the drop of a hat like a commercial or something. Is that – what What moves you to tears in a good you know, way? It's
1: hard – yeah, it's hard to um, – it's hard to pinpoint, but, like, just a lot of different things, to be honest. Like, I know what these guys go through, like, uh, to get where they are. There's a fine line about who separates who. Like, uh, and it, it's just something – I'm pretty, pretty emotional and sensitive. And that's happened, I guess, with age and having kids and things. Are, I'm just a little bit more, uh, less of a hard ass and just more <laughs> sentimental, you know, or emotional about yeah. about things, you know, in a, in a good way.
0: When you walk into the Barclays Center, there's the Oculus, you know, and everybody can see any kind of message up there. And if you could put something up there, this is the think part of it where you want people to think about what you want a message to be that you can get to out to as many people as you can. What would you, what would you put up there?
1: You know what? It's an awesome question. Um, I'm big on like, I'm, I'm terrible with my words. I'm the kind of guy that takes 20 minutes to, to sign a birthday card i'm a visual guy
0: <laughs> Your uh, however
1: i'm big on respect
0: like or a picture you could, like, you could tell me you want to put a picture uh, up there like
1: just just be be respectful and you know like and and you you are a perfect example of this of you walking into the barclays center like there's a guy that parks the car, we get in, there's the security, there's the elevator guy, there's this, there's a whole hundreds of people that are there, you know, it's not It's not only about, you know, the, what happens between the lines, you know? Uh, and just be respectful, everyone has a job to do, and in order for the whole team, and I mean that in the literal sense of the word, the, the whole team, to be successful, everybody has to do their part. And you know, no one is more important than the other. It's a it's a it's a respect thing. And I think whether it's work, personal, whatever, that that was instilled at a very young age uh in me by my by my parents. And and I really, I really believe that, you know, and it crosses so many uh so
0: many things. So you'd put a wreath up there. R e s p e c t. (laughs) There you go. Uh, On Instagram at Natley Photo. N a t l y Photo. What's the Natley?
1: That was just a nickname. uh, A nickname I had, and trying to be a little bit like there was a there was a photographer when I was growing up, a surfing photographer that his, uh, you know, you have the name by the picture. His thing was flame. And I've always thought that was, uh, that was cool. I didn't think something like that would go over too well with NBA, in NBA circles, but Natalie was my, uh, was my nickname. So instead of Nathaniel Butler being a little lengthy, we just <laughs> Natalie photo. And Instagram has been fun for me because I do, you know, different things, pictures that uh, people may or may not have seen before, you know, not, uh, not run of the mill. It's always something, you know, it's always something positive or something cool that i that I'm trying to do something a little different.
0: Nat, this was great. Thanks so much for, uh, sharing these stories and talking to us. No,
1: thanks. It's been, it's been fun and it, it, I've, the the thing that I take away is as the years add up. I guess I don't know if you would you were like started 2000, 2001, Like you meet a lot of people, and it that's that's what I take away from it is like the, the people that I've met all these years. It's it's really been a privilege. Thanks, Nat.
0: All right, NBA photographer Nat Butler again on Instagram at natlyphoto. N A T L Y photo see some of what we talked about uh photographs on the mind sometimes i really think that i'm in a dream like the world is just my dream cuz it's hard to not think that you're the center of the universe when i get up this morning to record this and i'm thinking as i'm going to bed last night what's a movie or a show that reminds me you know has about photographs and and songs about photographs and thinking about what i'm going to talk to nat about and having gone through some stuff with him and looking over his stuff, and then I, I, I do wordle every morning. I don't know. Don't judge me. But every morning I get up and I do wordle, as I'm maybe having a little uh, coffee or my smoothie in the morning. And the 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 wordle word today was photo, and it took me like the fifth try to get it. Like sometimes the universe is giving you the answers, and you're 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 looking in other directions, and it's right in front of your face. Um. The other day I was talking about Robin Williams with somebody. What a great comedian he was. And we talked about how he was an amazing, dramatic actor as well. There's a movie from the early 2000s. It was 2002. He played a villain. He plays a bad guy. He was masterful. He was such a great actor and comedian. But this, it's called One Hour Photo. So that's my thing to watch. On the theme of today. And when it comes to music, I could have gone with what was like the soundtrack to my eighth grade year, Def leopards Pyromania album, Photograph, right? Could have done that, but I'm not, not going to do that. Um, take a Picture by Filter, good song, but I'm not not making the cut here. Honorable mention Frank Turner, the great Londoner who was like kind of like a punk folk singer songwriter guy that I, I love. Uh, he has a song called Polaroid Picture, which is a great song. But for this, for my choice today, it's the great Tom Waits, the gravelly-voiced singer-actor. I, I know that a lot of people, it's, he's, a, he's a acquired taste. And a lot of his songs are, are made more famous by others who sing it, like Bruce Springsteen's Jersey Girl. Jersey Girl is a Tom Waits song. Rod Stewart had a hit, Downtown Train. I think somebody else made a hit with that as well. That's a Tom Waits song. Tom Waits has a song, Picture in a Frame. Beautiful, beautiful song. You know me, I love the imagery of words and the mood of certain songs. It's awesome. Picture in a Frame by Tom Waits. I love you, baby, and I always will ever since I put your picture in a frame. Thanks to Nat Butler. Thanks to my producer, Tom Dowd, engineer Isaac Lee. I'm Chris Carino. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast. We'll talk to you next week.